Welcome to True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Good morning. We're live in the Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado, and live on Zoom. Yeah, and welcome to the conversation. Uh, it should be a really interesting one here this morning as we talk about all things alignment, the greatest predictor of success, alignment in our lives and our relationships and our work. And uh, actually, the world overall these days can always use a little bit more alignment. Yeah, you know, everybody's in search of something. Um, tonight, perhaps candy because it's Halloween. It is. Um, but but every day, everybody's Happy in search Halloween of to something. Everyone. Happy yeah. Halloween, indeed. Um, uh, guests that are on the air, info at True Alignment. Any questions, any comments, uh, we'll work your questions into the conversation. Yes. Info at truealignment.com. Info at truealignment.com. Thank you. Yeah. Um, today, today we have a special guest, and so as as the uh, True Alignment podcast starts to roll out more and more guests, the people we intersect with in our lives, we invite. We're looking for business leaders and authors, and today we're fortunate to be joined by Adam Ray, the CEO of Astrum U. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Edgar. Good, good to see you both. Thank you. Likewise. Welcome. Adam, I'm not sure how we intersected um uh, and, and maybe we'll get to that story of how you intersected with us here at Regis and, and, and who has intersected. You're, you're a very gracious company as we have started to participate in the wonderfulness where you're trying to help our prospective students understand the return on their investment uh, of coming to get a degree here. And, and we'll walk into that conversation a little more. But I want to uh, hear a little bit of your story, how you got here. Um, one of the things I think that was surprising to many when we were up there in Bellevue, Washington with you all was um, as the CEO of a tech company, you have a philosophy degree. Is that right? Well, it's English, but close enough. Uh, kissing cousins in the liberal arts, <laughs> uh, as, as they say. But uh, yeah, wait, you don't see every AI company being run by an English major? <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. How, how did that happen? Yeah, you know, it's actually it's funny. The uh, it, it, how it happened is a long, circuitous uh, series of steps. I probably couldn't put together if I tried. But what is probably more interesting to most people that they don't realize is there is an inordinate amount of liberal arts majors running tech companies. Uh, you see, uh, you know, the cognitive analytical skill sets and communication skills that are taught in the liberal arts. Uh, you know, as, as we all know, as a soft skill has very little value to people that they can easily pin early in their career. But the longer you get, the deeper you get into your career, the more valuable it becomes, uh, kind of that compounding component. And so, uh, yeah, it's actually, uh, I'm excited to not be the only uh, English major, shall we say. Uh, you know, I can pick on a couple others like uh, uh, Alibaba's founder, Jack Ma, uh, another English major. Um, the founder of Slack was a philosophy major, I believe. And, uh, lest we forget the richest man in the world right now, Elon Musk, one of his two degrees is philosophy. So I guess I'm actually in the slacker category of English. Maybe I should have been a philosophy major again. <laughs> well, it's kind of, a, it's interesting because you mentioned it as the soft skills. And as, uh, as far as we can tell, especially in terms of, you know, leadership development, uh, the soft skills are the hard, hardest skills to learn and to really to master those. And the, and there's the other uh, side of that and what you just described as well is when you think about philosophy and you, you just think about human nature 
And, you know, business is always human-centered, and it's uh, we're at the core of everything in, in our experience of business. So it's a... Uh, for me, it's a wonderful fit. So I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned uh, all the other people that are in the same category as you're in. Yeah, welcome to the club, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I like right. part club. of the reason. I, I mean, like I founded the company predicated on the pattern matching that I was watching. Uh-huh. The you know you do see a lot of, of humanity uh, as you get farther along in your career. And uh, of course, we, we all know on the education side that, you know, if you, know, if you come and tell your parents and you're a kid and you say, hey, I'm going to go get an English degree or philosophy degree, your parents having a gasp look of going, what? But you're not going to be an engineer. You're not going to be something that you're going to be working as a barista someplace. How are you going to ever get a real job doing that? Uh, by the way, that's. That's a real job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that would be the first counter boss, but you know, parents aren't like necessarily wound in that particular aspect. Uh, <laughs> <Make great> coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm sitting here with my Starbucks right now. I'm feeling really good. You got a little promo for me. But no, I think the, you know, the humanities and the soft skills themselves, it kind of led me down this path of saying, look, there seems like with artificial intelligence now, we should be able to better understand these things. Uh, there's there's a lot of data out there and it's time to break that down so that human beings can find a pathway to more mobility uh, based on the skills they're capturing as they go through time. So Adam, you, you, you're a deep belief guy. Um, a, lot of your, a lot of your history, a lot of the things that you're involved with in the, in the public sector and boards you sit on are about uh, the betterment of things, right? Mm-hmm. The, the betterment right. Of, of attainment of education, and, and that uh, social mobility, as you mentioned, um, where does that come from? Yeah, it's, well, it, a lot of it comes from my own background. Um, you know, I was raised in, you know, like most American families and, you know, a broken house, you know, my, my parents and we, we, we came from very, very poor means. Uh, and so I had a chance, I was lucky enough in my life to, to be able to connect it with just a couple people like my grandparents who, who gave me an example of the things in which are possible if you're willing to work hard, leverage education, and use that to be able to, you know, really put yourself in a better position to, to take advantage of the opportunities in front of you. So I've always been a big believer in the American dream. I've always been a big believer that, you know, we need to make access and availability to individuals. Uh, hence, you know, our, our mission is to level the playing field and and it served myself and my family and, and those I love very, very well. But that comes with a lot of hard work, but you also have to create a lot of open opportunities. And I think in this country, I mean, I've traveled probably 35, 40 countries around the world and, and been in every single state and uh, literally. <laughs> and and I, I love traveling. I appreciate the cultures of the different areas, but this country has so much to offer. And, you know, so to me, it, it was a natural to, to want to be in a situation or, or work on policy and components like College Possible, where, you know, they're, they're trying to, we're trying to help 25,000 individuals with diverse backgrounds. They're usually in, in marginalized communities and came from poor means, give them the chance to leverage education for economic mobility. To me, like that, that's the driver of the engine of, of our society and creates the next generation. So, it's easy to, to spend my extra time in those type of policy components or, or data components that might help individuals, you know, make better decisions or maybe we can at least use our resources better to be able to get better outcomes. 
Yeah, uh, Edgar, this might be a good time to bring in a little bit of the um, alignment framework in the customer experience work. Yeah. And, uh, you want to introduce the, the customer? Well, one of the things that we look at in the customer experience is what really motivates the customer. And I've already been thinking about this as you were um, talking about access and availability and then the comment about the level playing field and, you know, how do we, how do we create that? And so when I think about what, you're, what, what people come to for what you're offering, um, one is that sense of inclusion. So, you know, diversity and um, the acceptance of one another and bringing people into community and, and allowing for diversity actually to flourish within that community. And I also, we also talk a lot about in the alignment framework and for businesses to be able to provide something that allows people to feel competent and to succeed. And then there's also self-actualization and feeling cared for. So when you think about what you're providing, uh, where, where does that land? Because my curiosity started with your comment about access and availability and then the playing field. And then you start looking at uh, diversity and those, those that perhaps find themselves in a um, situation where they might feel or see themselves as marginalized. And so can you, can you give us a little insight into what it is that you think is at the core of what it is you're providing? Yeah, I mean, so the core, I mean, the core of what we're trying to provide is we're actually trying to turn, take data to answer what should be a very simple question, but as I think we all know, it's really difficult, which is, does this individual have the necessary skills or attributes to succeed in a role? And if they don't, what can we do to help them bridge the skills gap? And so you could apply this to a 16-year-old trying to make better decisions or a 60-year-old. Who, who's looking to understand some aspect of their lifelong learning journey. And so, you know, our thesis is, is the problem with the current structure is, you know, everybody has good intentions, but, you know, we're, you, we're, we're forced to put everybody into these cohorts, labor market structures, and say, hey, you know, if you don't look like this, boom, I've got a blunt force filter that's going to take you out. You don't have this degree. If you don't have, you know, this skill, well, I love it when a hiring manager who's been in the role and only been a manager for two years says, I'm not willing to interview anybody that doesn't have five years worth of management experience. Like, well, then you wouldn't have got the job in the first place. But, you know, I mean, it, it, but those are the type of blunt force filters that, you know, ATS has put in place or, you know, educational institutions put in place or individuals in their own construct. And so, look, I get it. It's the only way we as human beings can take massive amount of data and start to, to narrow it down. Our objective is simple. We want to, like I said, we want to quantify the longitudinal journey of an individual's learning and working experiences and break those down into attributes that can be used to level the playing field. So instead of saying, you know, hey, you, you don't have the right school where you got your degree, or you don't have the right series of certificates, or you don't have the right job experience, let's put that into attributes and just ask What's the gap between what we're looking for and what you have? Or shock, we might find out you're you have a higher probability to succeed than the person we, we thought was qualified. And if you turn this into a data equation, you get away from where did you go to school, you get away from where's your zip code, how tall are you, what's your ethnicity. These things, you know, are the human element that can come in later. But let's just get it down to a data equation where people can start to help enough and access opportunities that they didn't even realize they were, had the skills to accomplish. And to me, that, that's kind of like, like 
we're started with higher education because I, I jokingly say this and don't, I hope people won't hold it to me. I said, we started with higher education because it's a, they're a nonprofit that acts like for profits. So <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, I knew people would have a self interest in, in doing things that would help us get to a, a quicker path. But our objective has always been to open that up to all forms of education, all forms of learning, and all forms of background. So, for example, I was on the phone uh, with my uh, um, largest backer, who is uh, a gentleman by the name of Dave Stewart, who is the second richest African American in this country, very passionate about the mission that we're after. Uh, his firm, he founded, he founded a $15 billion company uh, that he's the majority owner in, but he also founded the venture firm and a growth equity fund that we work with. But when we were talking, you know, one of the things that we were looking at is just, you know, how do we accelerate these things? How do we break down? And one area, for example, that he's really passionate about is how do we help with, you know, reducing recidivism? And, you know, and, and people don't think about these types of challenges like, well, they don't have degrees. They don't have the right background. Well, let's all agree that that, that, that might be a true statement. But you know what? They have skills. They've just been applied in ways that haven't necessarily been beneficial to working with society. So as they're in their journey back to be, you know, a productive part and take their piece of the American dream, we should be looking to capture those skills and help them understand that your distance to actually creating value in a legal way, which is valued by society, might be much shorter than you ever dreamed. And, you know, and it's, it's mind-blowing to me to think, you know, we're, we're going to go track that data, break down that data and look for ways to understand those skills. So those people can understand they have self-worth and those people can understand that they can actually be productive and they can do something that's meaningful versus, you know, saying, hey, well, we got you a job and that's all you should care about. So it's easy to wake up and do what I do. Yeah. Well, I think that's so interesting. So Adam, I'm going to, I'm going to bring a bunch of things you said together. I have, I have one question, you know, I come from uh, kind of poor, uh, meager means as well. I, I didn't, and I've shared this with Edgar. I didn't realize, I didn't realize how poor we were growing up. You just were right. I mean, it, you just were, but, but you, um, you have this construct of as you mature and as you see more things. And I, I do believe in, in my, in my case, and, and I would bet in yours because you grow up there, you spend a lot of time in observation. Like you're, you're, you're looking at the way things work. Um, I think in a different, with a different lens, and so, you know, I think that's so interesting that you, that you share that part of your story. You also realize that um, you have to slug it out and fight a little harder um, to break down some of these barriers and kind of escape, escape your roots mm-hmm. um, in, in many instances. You know, as a first-gen college student, that certainly was the case, um, right? Mm-hmm. You, didn't, you, didn't have, um, you didn't have cars and the means to go away and uh, participate in all these extras that we throw at you in a, in a university setting. But, um, you know, so I'm hearing that, that observation of these things that leads to this passion that, that you have, I mean, right. I mean, which kind of, um, like you, you mentioned levels the playing field, but I think now's the time to, t- to give, uh, Adam's version of Astrum U, um, and, <laughs> and introduce, uh, Astrum U and w- what you do. I, I wonder, I'd like to explain how I pitch it to other people, which is, which is funny because, you know, we, we were early adopters as, as a university, especially for our MBA program. And it's, and it's on our website. And, and I just think it's, it's really kind of slick. And, 
and and one of the reasons that I that I think it's 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 just very neat is that the public doesn't understand what we do in education, and we're not good at explaining it. Um, so it's like <laughs> it's that might like, be an understatement of the day. Well, it's like a mystery, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I've I've watched my my nephews and nieces uh, graduate from college and ask me questions like, "Don't you guys look at rate my professor and get rid of the bad ones?" Like, um, I'm like, "Do you even know what you invested in?" Like. <laughs> Do do you even know? I, I mean, I'm watching my my family members send their kids to college, and the and the way they make decisions, and the the way my own daughters made their decisions is so so interesting to me. Um, it's a highly competitive landscape. Internally, we always explain how different we are than everybody else, and and at the end of the day, we're all really similar. Um, so how how do you get somebody to make a choice? So here's here's how I explain. Um, why we're participating in AstroMU and what it does. So uh, for our MBA program in particular, um, Adam's company, we've provided a list of our alumni and we've provided access to all of the syllabi across our MBA curriculum. And, and what AstroMU does is with a collection of career fields and a collection of skill sets, uses publicly found information about people that have attained that level of degree and our specific alumni base um, and has scraped their information so we can predict the return. If you want to, for instance, make more compensation or get a promotion, you can pick the field. And based on the people that have come through our degree in the past, you can determine your ROI on coming here for your degree. Well, I, I think, you know, Molly should hire you. Uh, first off, uh, because <laughs> uh, I think yours is more uh, uh, simple to understand than how I sometimes get wonked out. Uh, but I, I, I think it's a great can. That's it's a great cut. I mean, we're trying to get the, the skills. Business. We're trying to personalize the ROI of education. Um, you know, we have this this construct of uh, 122 million learner worker profile. Uh, millions of them verified, and you know we want to break down and, and automate an understanding of what skills we captured in each course, and what that means to outcomes. Uh, and it will be different by by to your point. Like Regis's MBA program will create the more we learn and, and, and watch, and the more the machine learning applies, and the engine captures new ways to understand skills because it's always we're always finding new ways to pick up or new things to train. Uh, it will allow us to, to continue to refine and understand the value you're creating and deliver that back in quantitative data to, to prospective individuals looking to participate in your MBA program. Uh, you know, our objective is, is and I think you know this, is our objective is to do that in 2023 for undergraduates at, at scale. Uh, and when we think undergraduate, it will be traditional students and lifelong learners. Because uh, there's a lot of people that, you know, stop outs or people who delayed or people who want to come back. And, you know, and especially I think, you know, that much more hyper rational buyer is going to want to understand the quantitative return. Like, like I know, like, look, this is not any guaranteed smack shot, but I need to understand if, if I'm going to go make this dollar in time investment, what, what is the probability of return? Or at least what's the distance and how will you shorten the distance for me? so that I have the best possibility of getting the outcome I'm after. Well, and I and think to I, me, that's fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's phenomenal actually. Um, and kudos for the going after that undergrad. 
you know, I think as in higher ed institutions, the idea that we can do this will help a lot of the folks that have gone online or have had a tradition of online education really start to look at the skills that are developed and realize that they might be more similar than we give them credit for. I, yeah, the I mean, your industry is is, is fat, always been fascinating to me. How the institutions, you know, um, play. Like I, I'm jokingly, and I don't know if I've ever said this to you, Kim. Like I like quantifying education was a goal because I I do think each institution regionally brings different value propositions that are very relevant to individuals online. Can also how they're packaged and leveraged. So the, the more you can quantify that, it's not that it's like one program crushes versus another. Uh, if one person might be best aligned for one program versus another, and they need to go jump at that one when they, they're after the outcome. But I, I, I do like, like to me, if we can quantify this, I, I, it helps us do things like I have this personal like minor objective, which is to destroy U.S. News World Report rankings. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just don't, I don't think it serves anyone very well except Harvard, and they don't need me help. Uh, and so, but you guys know this. It's like your kid coming to a school. It's it's a real tough thing. I mean, it's like I, I guess where it struck me, like my 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 current chairman who's stepping down. We're gonna have a new chairman. He's, he's still gonna be on my board. So you've heard the firm Hydric struggles. Yeah, yeah. So he's chairman of the board also for Hydric struggles. Uh, which is for the, your listeners is the largest executive recruiting firm in the world, like a billion and a half, two billion dollars. Um, and and Adam was coming to me and he's like, "Look, I was he was a CEO of a three billion dollar company. He's now chairman of this very prestigious executive recruiting firm. And he's like, I'm struggling to know which educational content I want to take to get this outcome I'm after. And I've kind of got like should be the guy that would be easy to figure this out. And he's like, look." If you guys could help me, your recommendation in one day, that would be great because I'm wasting a lot of time trying to figure out should I take this class or this program. He was trying to do a bunch of learning on a certain subject area, and he's just as struggled uh, as the 18 year old trying to figure out what school to go to or an MBA student. There's a there's a couple of thoughts come to mind as I'm listening to you and how you describe it and uh, the ROI and the value that it brings, and to quantify to be able to quantify. And, and provide insight into really at the end of the day, you're talking about providing insights that allow people to make better decisions to, to get yeah. more of, of what they want. And then I think about, well, here's the 18 year old or here's the adult learner. I'm even thinking about this myself at, at my age is thinking about, well, how do I integrate that, uh, that quantifiable with, with my natural. So, you know, I, I learn, I build a skill, I'm nurtured in a way I'm taught, um, and at the same time, there's this uh, integration, which uh, happens cons- constantly for us as human beings, of who we are. Or, you know, we can simplify it by saying personality type or motivations. And uh, how does that fit for you in terms of here's, here's access to all this great data and information. This is going to help you make a decision. How do I weigh in that and integrate that other piece of, well, here's who I am and how might this fit for me? Well, you're talking about the preferential component. It's what the human, like, it's one thing to say this is your top three opportunities, your top three educational choices. Right. But if they're in fields or opportunities or situations where you personally don't have interest, then, you know, it it doesn't meet the need. It doesn't connect the dots. 
So, I mean, when we built the engine, we call it a living data model. We often reference it as for short AITE, which stands for AI Translation Engine. Uh, but as a living data model, uh, we have a half dozen patents on this thing already and working on more. And, and what we've been able to do is we're, we're breaking down soft skills, technical skills, working experiences, and creating the avenue for preferential factors. The, the preferential factors at this stage of evolution, and by the way, this this will be if, if, if you know God willing, I'll I'll be get a chance to work on this for decades because it's just it's so much. There's so much. It's a never evolving learning of trying to get at skills and attributes that individuals capture. I mean, we'll never truly and we'll never truly capture a human being. But the more we do to quantify it, the better the people are to be able to make quality decisions, but you have to give room for preferential. So, for example, in the MBA example, uh, the, you know, you have the ability to say, hey, don't show me stuff that isn't within the city because I've got two kids in school and, and I'm not going to leave the city. So don't give me career path options that, that aren't here right local. Uh, you know, and there could be a host of other preferential things. I think this will be, by the way, when you think about undergrad, I think it will come in heavily because we'll have to factor that uh, 18-year-olds don't make all their decisions based on a career outcome. They're going to have a lot of preferences. Now, their parents would prefer that it was all career outcome, I'm sure, but, you know, the, the, they're going to have other things, and let's hope some of those things we can get into the engine, but yeah, it's it's fascinating because at the end of the day, you want to get as close as you can. Like I tell people, AI doesn't make the decision. We're a personal recommendation engine. We do personalization at scale. We're effectively, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the crosswalking of what you call communication at your MBA program, what the student calls it, and what an employer calls it. It's all different. You have different rubrics. It shouldn't matter because at the end of the day, if we can normalize that, so that everybody can say, well, I say communication, you say communication, I might interpret, you you interpret the competency capability-wise, the engine will actually break that down so that you can make a decision based on what each side thinks that is. That's the, the real objective here. And if we do that, that quantification should be able to factor preferential needs in other areas, or at least give enough room to the data to the human being to go, well, I don't like that, but what about this? Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of uh, conflict in in the conversation around the attainment of skills, right? I mean, with all of the um, conversation afoot across the U.S. of let's return to honoring of the trade skill uh, trade schools because they bring a definitive skill set, um, and you know we we use that language soft skills, which is as Edgar mentioned, such a misnomer of how important those uh, human skills are. Uh, one thing I steal mm-hmm. liberally from Edgar is that, you know, businesses are never business to business or business to consumer. They are always H to H, human to human. Mm-hmm. And, and we, I, I steal that from you every moment I can. I sometimes attribute, attribute <laughs> it to you. <laughs> um, anytime, anytime he says, I'm going to attribute this to you, I always get scared. But you know, I mean, this is, as we've defined innovation here, Adam, at Regis, um, you know, every program, every event is meant to drive three kinds of thinking, critical, creative, and systems thinking. And that's based on feedback from our alumni and people that are hiring our graduates. 
and and every institution on the planet has a critical thinking outcome. Mm-hmm. And and our alumni said quite bluntly, that's not enough. We need we need some systems thinking because this is costing us so much money to do this work over and over and over again. People come up with solutions that work for them at their desk. They don't work for the person at the desk next to them. They won't work next week and they certainly won't work next year. So we end up doing the same work. So if you all in that business and computing school could help our help your students become systems thinkers, um, we think that would be the benefit. So, you know, that's in our definition, but outcomes are, I mean, I've, I've worked in education space for, for a quarter century, and the reality is, um, and, and we see this. In, I didn't in realize our, you were that old. Go ahead. We see this in our business consulting is that um, business owners, CEOs, often have a hard time with the commitment to what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, the irony is in education, we can identify the outcomes, but we rarely use them to inform what we do or how, how we act. Which is you know full on feedback loop isn't there, right? Like the to your point, like if you really, really could take that entire biofeedback, how would you change your programming? How would you adapt what you might do along the journey? How would you continue to learn that systems discussion might turn into more specific use cases that are incredibly practical as well as illuminating to help the individual think broader? I, that, to me, that's like, I think the, the way we think of education, and you guys are the experts, like, look, I'm just a dumb English major running a tech company. But, uh, you know, the, uh, um, uh, the, if we think about where education is going, um, I hope that in the next 10 years, you know, in fact, I know, and, but I hope that all institutions are going to start to be thinking much more liberally about Hey, some we will have tracks where people are. We won't, nobody will want to call it Botech, but they should say these are tracks we're creating outcomes, and it's very binary, and that's perfectly all right because that's what some people need. Other people will say, "Look, I, I, if you can quantify me for me the journey of the other thinking, the other cognitive and critical analytical skill sets, the system thinking, things like that, I want that because I have to not only capture." the hard skills, but I have to prepare myself for the future with the, the universal skills. Yeah. And, and, and I do think the universal skills to me are like, like when we, one of the things is when we started, I think I jokingly said, I think we'll one day save humanity from becoming, you know, this, this group that just eventually shuts down because the institutions shouldn't just all be engineering school. Uh, I mean, hey, we need a lot of engineers. Don't get me wrong. But there, but we need people to think too, because even engineering one day, certain levels of engineering, like I can show you charts on AI. There's a bunch of engineering that's get automated. Totally, absolutely, yeah. You can see that coming, and uh, there's there's probably a lot more out there than we're even seeing in terms of what the possibilities and and what is going to be reality in the future. I think it's interesting that uh, it, this conversation has brought us now is this idea of the. You know, who? How can we elevate people to see themselves in a more um, systems uh, approach? In other words, that we're all part of something a lot larger. And it was interesting to me on the front end of this conversation. I thought about well, 
uh, that can get very specific. You know, I'm going to get that, and it's going to allow me to better understand the decisions I have to make. After all, we're all the center of our own universe. I mean, everything's personal. It's all about me, right? And you see that, and you can see that kind of con- you can see that potential contraction happen. And at the same time, um, my imagination and the way I'm hearing you is really c- quite the opposite. Which is, yes, I get to answer those specific questions for myself. But really, what I'm doing is I'm answering those questions for myself in relationship to the to the greater, to the whole. In other words, mm-hmm. this is really about how it is that I function within the the context and the system that I'm that I'm that I'm operating in, that I'm a part of, that I'm living in. And to be able to see it through that lens is, is I think is so, as you just mentioned, is extremely powerful. It really is, because it allows us then to ask those great design questions and innovative questions like what if? And what are mm-hmm. the different ways to see things? And what, are, what what's missing here? And what am I not seeing? And that what your what your technology uh, does is it allows us to begin to ponder and ask those kinds of questions. And actually, in a way, by receiving information, it, it's hard to imagine that I'm not going to be asking myself those questions. And and I tie that then to <laughs> the decision you made to um, in your studies and to move into liberal arts and. And here you are now running a technology company and your parents or whoever's in your life at the time saying, are you going to earn a good living by studying that? Is that going to get you the way you want to go? Well, guess what? <laughs> Probably it's beyond, it's beyond the imagination, right? So what, what, is, uh, what, what does that mean? And I think that's, for me at least in listening to you, that's remarkably powerful to be able to, to hone in on a specific set of questions and then seeing them in a broader context of how they can come to life is just a, that's a great attribute of what you're offering. Well, hey, look, first off, my immediate thought was, is when you were talking about, you know, the whole center of the universe is always me, 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 me. I'm like, did you talk to my wife and did she tell you something about me? She's like, you know, the whole world doesn't revolve around you. And I think you should know that. <laughs> we we advocate that point of view because the reality is if you don't exist, there's no universe to ponder. So you are actually at the center of your right, your experience of the universe. There you go. There's just no way of getting around that. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, it, 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 where you're hitting, where you're kind of pulling that string on is it's a definitively, yeah, we want to be able to help people answer context. But because everything here, I think, in, you know, Ken, you mentioned it's like everything's done human to human. And so the problem is, is right now that leaves so much anecdotal to chance. Uh, I mean, like, look at my journey. So English major, I, I totally, to this day, I, my, my, one of my sons is like, well, how, how did you break my cat? And I'm like, I honestly, cause I went to work, I was kind of trained to catch him and I earned young know, in the consulting rank after a job I had, a job I had in the middle, but to start. But I, to this day, I can't explain to them how I convinced them to hire me. I was the most unqualified person in the world. They should have never hired me. They shouldn't even have talked to me. Uh, but nonetheless, some series of events happened there. And then fast forward, this is my third company. It's called the last two, one for a couple hundred million dollars, yada, yada. Um, I just, I just, that anecdotal, we lose too many people. Uh, and too much talent is left behind and too much talent is untapped. And look, I don't care what people, where they, they sit on the spectrum, where they're like, we should give everything away. Or if you sit on the spectrum, everybody has to earn. My, my point is still the same. Guess what? If we don't figure out where the people have and quantitatively to bring to the table, how are you going to even give them the pathway to ponder the question of what they want to do with themselves and where they want to take it? 
Because otherwise, you're asking a person with no real understanding of their sense within the construct of the society what they can really accomplish. Well, you know, if you'd said to me when I was 28 years old, oh, you're going to run companies in tech, I'd be like, maybe. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I was kind of cocky, so maybe I would have said, yeah, yeah. I would have done. I walked away going, I no flipping clue what they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the more you show the art of possibility, the potential to human beings, I think the more you open up their thought process and creativity to say, maybe I could. And then of course you add that with the right support construct. You add that with uh, workforce development programs, education programs. I think there's enough help out there. The problem is, is it's randomized and anecdotal because there's no way to quantify where to target and focus to get the maximum return. And I want to turn this into a quantitative discussion so people can actually point the gun the right way and help people get the better outcomes. Yeah, well, bring in that wisdom. I, I would need to lay down a bunch of things before I forget them and they go out of my head here. Um, <laughs> Jim, you know, if I'm if I'm listening to the conversation today, here's 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 the title I think belongs after the colon. Um, Universal skills will save humanity. Uh, that that's that's where I'm laying my money down here based on our conversation. Um, second thing I want to say is we have this wonderful Jesuit construct um, called Magis, and and the purpose of our education is to seek the Magis. I mean that means the more the greater. Uh, where we twist it sideways is we talk about it being quantitatively more, um, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's it's kind of the greater, and there's there's a, a, a very much a faith based uh, component of that. Um, but it is the, the things the world needs. And, and I appreciate, Adam, your, your idea about the anecdotal is really our enemy. I mean, we do this all the time. You know, I teach people how to start businesses as, 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 as what I do in our education here at Regis. And, you know, I have to, have, I have to talk about our programs being the antithesis of, of the Silicon Valley Shark Tank success models. Um, mm-hmm. Because we don't talk about where you started or how you came up. We just talk about where you ended up. Mm-hmm. And so then you have a relativity and a comparative kind of thing. Well, how can I be like Adam Ray? Um, I mean, that's what your sons are asking you, right? Um, tell me how yeah. this happened. And, and that is, there's some randomness in there. Um, there's how you built these relationships. Um, and that's, you know, all the culture work that we talk about mm-hmm. is, is, is all a component of this. Um, the other thing I want to lay down, Adam, is uh, we have a running joke that I have a movie reference uh, every every week on the podcast. It, it's random. We don't know where it's coming from. Uh, the easy one would have been to pick up on Moneyball or something like that here today. That would have been easy. But I actually have a, a better one. My wife and I watched uh, a, a recent movie, which isn't always the case, uh, this weekend called Every Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Did you see it, Jim? Hmm. Not yet. All right, so it is, um, it, it is a movie that is told in three parts um, about a Chinese family, and, and it involves the multiverse. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. kind of difficult to explain, but it is this component of all these constructs coming together and them trying to figure out, and they tell the story with the same characters from three different angles, and they're, you know, it gets, right. it's sci-fi in a sense that they're jumping universes and things like this. At the end of the day, it's about a relationship between the mother and the daughter and, and the grandfather. Hmm. Um, and it is all of these components that come into all of our decisions and all of our lives as, as we look for who we really want to become. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think this, I mean, I, another suggestion of the title might be the art of becoming. Right. Um, and maybe and science uh, in parentheses in the colon and parentheses. Now we're having academic title. How are you adding more in parentheses now? Okay. We're going to be looking hey, at the. Like there. I don't we're know gonna, if I remember that much there. We're going to be looking at the standards soon. Yeah. Thanks for the <laughs> Got that punctuation right. Yeah. Adam, I'd love to. I'd love I, to switch gears just a little bit, yeah. and I, I want to ask you about what it's like to run Astromu what it's like to be CEO of that organization, who you're looking, you have, you have quite a bunch that work for you. Um, all, I mean, fun, all different backgrounds. Um, I spent some time when, when I was up there with you all um, meeting some of your team, um, a really neat bunch. Tell me what it's like to run Astromu. Well, look, I feel really blessed, quite, quite blessed and quite lucky. Uh, we, we, we're about, I think we're about 54 people now. Uh, and uh, and I know we're getting ready. We're going through a big growth spurt right now, and and we just we just have a really eclectic group. We we focus. Um, if I talk a little bit about the company and the people, because the companies are nothing but people. Uh, and so we, this is my third company. And so if you think about the role, I think that was kind of the genesis of your original portion of that question. Um, you know, my first CEO gig. Uh, I was co-founder of a company. I was dumber than a rock. Uh, you know, you, this is when you quickly learn being the CEO. People, oh, well, I'll take a class to be a CEO or something. I'm going to take a class to start a company. I'm like, yeah, it's an OJT thing. Uh, On-job training. And uh, the best thing I can tell you is go find other people who have done it, ideally successfully. And then at least, you know, you've got somebody that can go, well, that sounds really good in theory, but in practice, it's about as dumb as you can ever expect. And so, um, you know, one of the things, though, I didn't appreciate at the time was that if you're dealing with a company, you're only going to be as great as the team can do to work together to accomplish more. The sum of the parts will equal more than the parts if you do this right or inverse. And so the key to that is culture. And... Um, my first company, I didn't pay attention to culture because I'd always been in other companies of different sizes and varying degrees. And so culture was already set. And I wasn't leading the culture. I was just part of the culture. And big, big, big companies, the culture keeps people in line and they make sure they don't go off. But the smaller the company is, the more the culture can't hold the people in. The people set the tone for the culture and personalities can therefore be magnified massively in positive or negative ways. I learned a couple of the negative things in my first company, by the way. But going through that journey, fast forward to Astromu, like before, when, when Astromu was just Adam sitting in the bathroom going, hi, the whole company's here. Well, let's have a board meeting and a company meeting all in one, and I'll go to the bathroom at the same time. Uh, you know, we, I, we as in general, I guess the universal, we, I don't know. Uh, anyway, codified the cultural diet. And so we've got codification of, of seven cult, seven cultural components that we believe in. And I'll tell you the two that are probably the most important to uh, give value for each of them. But I always come back to one is circles of trust. Why, you know, if you can't trust an individual will not attack you. If you go out and push yourself to failure, then you're not going to push yourself. And I always tell people in the company, I will underwrite your failure. I actually want you to push yourself to the point of failure. Now, I'm not saying go fail 50% of the time, 
uh, if I quantify it, because I have a bunch of data scientists work for me, so they're like, well, can you quantify how much of those failures are I need a number. I need a number. I can say it's very 15, 20% max, ideally closer to 10. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but, but what I'm telling them is, is I'll underwrite your failure because if you're going to push yourself, push us to grow, you need to know, A, I'm perfectly fine with that. You can trust that you won't get damaged because of that and your peers won't damage you. And B, my only question is, I paid for it. Now, what did we learn from it? And, and so circle the trust and the other one is over communication. You can never communicate enough in a company. And so to me, like what's really exciting about the group we have right now is I, I tell them because we're just about this critical mass because it's not the first time we've done this. Um, at 50 people, everyone in the company is a cultural founder. Because when we're at 500 people, they're going to be the ones that everybody looks to for signal of what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable within our construct. And if we do it right, we'll magnify the 500 just as much as we magnify the 50. If we do it wrong, the 500 will be less productive than at an average individual than at the 50. And so those are like the fun things about building companies. And, and I think I just feel really blessed that I have a really smart group of people that have decided to join us on this journey. And, and we're not anywhere without them uh, and their hard work. Yeah, the definition that we use uh, is uh, for culture is how do people define how they get success individually and collectively. And in your in in your culture, that includes then the ability to take some risks and to make uh, to, to really to learn as as you go and what does that look like. And then from that, we are able to interpret what's acceptable and acceptable behavior. So I, I've got a question that uh, that came into my head really early on in this conversation that I want to come back to, and mm-hmm. um, and my intention is really to connect your the arc uh, of where you started and. Um, where you are today and then the question that Ken posed about, you know, what's it like running the company that you're currently running? Uh, and this goes into uh, a greater uh, sense of being then is when you think about yourself and, and you start thinking about here's all the possibilities and what it is that you and your company provide to the world and where you're endeavoring to, to help people go and their definitions of success my question is simply, when you think about yourself then and, and this arc you're on, what's, what's your desired legacy? Uh, what is it that, as you see the future uh, unfold for you, what is it that you're in pursuit of for yourself and, and the legacy that, that, that you then, and the stamp, the imprint that you'll have on the world? Well, well that's, a, that's a pretty big question there. <laughs> but if I had to, I mean, the... My, my, so when I look at this challenge, there's an information asymmetry gap between industry and education. And because of that, a lot of people are getting left behind. And the most marginalized, underserved, underrepresented in our country obviously take the biggest hit there. But, you know, you see it at all levels of socioeconomic grouping. And by the way, this isn't just an American thing. This is a global challenge thing. Um, and, and, and so from, from my perspective, but, you know, the, my legacy, I guess, is the thing I'm really trying to get to. And we're going to be much more vocal about this in the coming year 
is, is we really wanted to get this down to a verified skills index. They can be the foundation to start driving a marketplace. And so if you can capture people's learning and working experiences and verify them, which is what we do with our engine over time so they understand quantitatively where they are and what, what it means, then you're in a position to start to break down that transparency barrier between everyone to make better decisions. And so you have to start with something simple like an index, which is uh, an ability for people at a point in time to take a snapshot and go, where am I sitting within context of this role? Where am I sitting in context of this educational opportunity? And, you know, companies will invest in that. They say, hey, if I've got a workforce development program, I'm, I'm putting you through that, that cycle to see, could I invest in you? Could I make a bet to help you get the education you need to be in this role? I need to be able to verify and, and in some way understand the skills you bring to the table. And so I think, you know, verifying skills from an index and into a marketplace, to me, is like, like if I had my dream, I discussed destroying U.S. News World Report. I also secretly would really like to, to end the current construct of the job market as we know it. Not that this is one of these small things, but I think job boards are nothing but fancy resumes online at scale. And if the 1.0 is a resume, 2.0 is a job board. My question is, is 2.0 doesn't do us very well. We all know it doesn't, but we don't have anything better. What's 3.0? And in my world, 3.0 is going to be some version of a verified skills marketplace where people are going to quantitatively be able to understand on both sides of the market who's available, and then they're going to be able to quantitatively begin to invest in a way, in targeted way they've never been able to do at the individual level. And so the legacy I'm after, Edgar, is I, I want to figure out a way. Our engine will play a critical role in that, but we're not the only player. There's players like Sherm, uh, you know, at the executive HR side. There's, there's players like National Student Clearinghouse and ETS on the education side. And, of course, you know, there's the institutions themselves, and there's the companies themselves all taking the equal hand in. But I'd love to be the enabler to change that so that 10 years from now, we're not looking at this, these problems the same way. We're instead asking questions like, how do we invest more in building content and getting at individuals who are being left behind? If we gave them the right training, they could one day be our future NBA uh, participants or, or doing things that right now we go, never. They, they should just work at McDonald's. Which, by the way, hey, that's a good entry-level job. Don't get me wrong, but I'm you don't want to stay at that entry-level job your whole life. Yeah, I think so much of what we've, we've seen happen around us is the availability and the building of the content without the ability or, or at least the uh, the training to, to apply that content, which is, I, I think, really, I mean, that's been our, our journey as as, uh, as humankind for ever since we started really learning and innovating and, and doing things and and. Unfortunately, today's world and the complexity of today's world, everything's intended to be simplified. And I think the easier way to come at it, the easier way to come at it is to build the content as opposed to trying to figure out how to exactly how to apply it, use it, and come back to this human-centered approach that it's not about providing knowledge. It's about teaching people how to use it yeah. and how to it's, apply it's, it and the skills. It's at and, the root cause, right? Yeah, at the, at the cause. Applicability. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because in this space and time right now, especially in the U.S., um, the amount of, uh, I mean, there's billion-dollar unicorns in the upskilling, reskilling, um, and, and selling that model, 
it's still blind. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, Adam, what I hear you say, it's still, it's still blind. Um, you know, in this idea that you need to be self-aware to know when to get on the escalator, um, for which, which kind of upskilling or reskilling that you're looking for instead of just, uh, throwing the spaghetti at the wall and, and, and hoping. Well, and that, that's what it is. Every, everything, I mean, this isn't a lack of resources. It's a lack of understanding where to, to, to spend them with the best return. And it, and it happens on both sides of the market. All, well, actually, if you really want to think of it, education, industry, and the individual, a three-sided market, no one really knows. And so who, who anecdotally, well, the person who maybe right. stumbled in, like, I stumbled into consulting. Oh, great. Hey, I got to be in tech. I, trust me, I wasn't on that path until I stumbled in. But that shouldn't be the way it is. It should be able to be more purposeful about the decision. And that's going to take transparency. And it's going to take all sides getting uncomfortable. But there's a lot of upside in it. <laughs> a lot of upside for everybody it, involved. It's interesting. that, know. And it's interesting in, re, in all forms of relationship that uh, one of the alignments as we, as we strive to become more aligned and we all want the same outcome, what we're achieving, how is this we're going to go about that. I think one of the alignments that we often forget about is that we need to align on how to, how to be uncomfortable as well. What does alignment look like in terms of how, how do we all ask these kinds of questions and get uncomfortable and, and look at it through the lens of confronting truth, confronting reality, really looking at it and saying, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll all get uncomfortable together because that's the only way we're going to figure out what, what, what the true alignment looks like going forward. Well, that yeah. curious confrontation. Yeah, that curious yep. confrontation you, you're building in with your employees. Yeah. I, I love the fact, too, Adam, that you're paying attention to a little bit of the, the larger ecosystem development, right? I mean, you're putting folks like the National Student Clearinghouse and, and ETS in conversation with institutions and, and then in conversations with industry so we can um, work on this problem together, um, perhaps a future in, in politics. Uh, um. No. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm a free market yeah, guy. A, which I, I, I had that thought, and I had that thought before too, because uh, so much of what you're uh, leaning into too is uh, when you think about diversity, and and then you, I, I'm glad that you scaled it out of America into the worldwide realm of systems thinking, because we as Americans like to think about it. So you know, it's it's really about us here, and you know, and, and now the Supreme Court looking at affirmative action again in in in, in education. I mean, this is really a, an interesting time. So with that in mind, um, a couple of thoughts real quick. The first one is thank you for joining us today. Uh, just a wonderful conversation, and uh, your insights and everything are wonderful. And we hoping that you're going to come back again in the future and spend some more time with us. That would be great. And then another question is what's missing kind of question is, is there anything that we didn't ask you about that you were, that you were thinking about sharing with us here today and with the audience that we didn't ask you about that you want to share? Yeah. You know, there was no one specific area, but I mean, to me, I, I do, I do think that, you know, if there's an area that I would hope and I think I put it back on, I think your institution is a very forward thinking institution. It really is trying to embrace understanding how work and education come together, which is critical, uh, that it's just not staying in the ivory towers, which has so been the higher education path historically. Um, yeah, I just, the one thing that would be intriguing is to help people, if I could put something out there, pose like, I, I think there's a lot of values to be unlocked in, in attributes and skills and data. 
And I really would love to see the institutions and the employers start to think about this more at an individual level. Uh, and right now, I think there's these big fights over PII and what can be shared, what cannot be shared. But I'm like, I, I sit there and I, I work with a lot of tools and I work with a lot of companies. And I'm like, I don't even think you have anybody that would know what to do with it even if you actually look at it right. Uh, and so, because the problem is when you deal with cohorts, it's just another form of spaghetti gets thrown against the wall. And so I guess my, my hope is, is that, you know, if I could leave one, one lasting thought is I hope every, the leadership at the institutional level and the corporate level starts thinking more about the quantitative data within their own walls and how they can use that to better drive better outcomes and outcomes being defined as the individual getting to be able to participate and be able to get after what their dreams are. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a company, that means they grow and they learn more. If you're an institution, it means, guess what? And then they're going to have to get a job. And they're going to have to have some preferential thing that they're concerned about. And how can we be more tuned through data? So maybe that'd be my last thought for, for what it's worth. It works for me because you just gave a really nice descriptive of personal alignment. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who am I as an individual and how do I align to the uh, the organization, the group, the team? How do I align to uh, in all my relationships to and and how I discover and uh, become everything I can be. Yeah, it's, it's great. Thank this, you. This balance of the individual at scale, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really important construct to, um, that we're all talking about all the time. Um, and I love the fact that you're doing something about it, Adam. Thank you. Yeah. Adam, well, yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me on. It's been very, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you with us, Adam. And um, so. Uh, I think we're out of time. And just to remind everyone, questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all, um, yeah, just uh, go ahead and email us uh, or reach out to us. Uh, the email is info at truealignment.com. And, uh, yeah, with that, uh, thank you again, Adam. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, everybody that's out there uh, listening and tuning in every uh, to all our episodes. Appreciate it greatly. And we'll see you the next time around. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Have a good day, everybody. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Take care.